Hello and welcome to Under the Floodlights. This week on the show, Brighton VAR their way to a point against Liverpool. Fulham's penalty practice in training pays off as they beat Leicester. Burnley suffer their annual thrashing at the Etihad against mid-table Man City. And Cavani comes on at halftime to spark a famous second-half comeback from Manchester United. The big questions this week include who is Donny van de Beek? Why is Klopp not considering Chris Wilder's poor feelings? Is Mourinho one point closer to the title? And what's stopping Pickford saving shots from distance? My name's Darren Scott and I'm joined with Bailey Hutchison, Chris Ringland and... Before we get into the normal lighthearted show, we'd be remiss not to start off by mentioning a couple of more serious topics, um, starting with the horror injury to well, striker Royal Jimenez. Obviously, football is just a game, and there are more important things in life, and I guess the Jimenez injury was a stark reminder of that for everyone. Um, so on behalf of the three of us, I mean, I'd like to wish him a, a safe and speedy recovery. We certainly look forward to seeing him out there on the pitch again, hopefully soon, <clears throat> but obviously at this moment, his health the most important thing. Uh, yes, and uh, Papa Bubba Diop died this week, um, and we've just got a wee tribute to him, um, if the listeners aren't aware of who he was. So, Papa Bubba Diop, um, he began his career in his native Senegal, before he moved to Switzerland in 1999, at the age of 21, and played for the infamous Grasshoppers Club, uh, which he won the league with. He was a six foot five defensive midfielder, and comparisons were drawn early between him and Patrick Vieira. And indeed, those comparisons skyrocketed as he played a pivotal role in Senegal's first ever World Cup match in 2002, when Diop scored the winning goal against the reigning champion France, which is widely considered to be one of the biggest upsets in World Cup history. That France team included Taram, Desai, Petit, Vieira, Wiltord, Henri, Trezeguet, and an unused sub called Zinedine Zidane. Senegal sensationally went on to reach the quarterfinals, losing to Turkey in extra time, and that equaled an African side's best ever performance at a World Cup. He was Senegal's top scorer at the tournament and ended up having 63 caps for Senegal in total, scoring 11 goals. He joined RC Lawn in France after this, um, and then, not before long, the Premier League came calling, and Fulham spent £6 million on him in 2004. He won Player of the Year in his first season and scored his first goal against Chelsea. Earlier this year, Paul Scholes surprised many by saying that Diop was the most difficult player he'd ever played against in midfield, saying, if you get involved physically with him, you're wasting your time. He became a cult hero at Fulham, uh, and he was known as the wardrobe for his physical presence in defensive midfield. He scored free kicks, half volleys from outside the box, and a memorable screamer against Manchester United. After helping Fulham avoid relegation in 2007, Diop joined Harry Redknapp's Portsmouth, and played a key part in one of the Premier League's all-time cult hero sides, alongside David James, Sylvain Distan, Saul Campbell, Nico Cranchar, Jermaine Defoe, Canu and Ben Janney. Diop went on to infamously win the FA Cup with Portsmouth in 2008. Following Portsmouth's financial debacles and relegation, Diop joined Greek side AEK Athens in 2010, and he won the Greek Cup in his first and only season with them. And that's when Big Sam swooped in. <laughs> Following West Ham's relegation to the Championship in 2011, Big Sam sought to build a side with experience that would take them straight back up. Diop played 16 games for West Ham in the Championship, scoring his only goal against Barnsley. He played a key role in the promotion campaign as he provided the backup for Kevin Nolan and Mark Noble when they had too much grafting to do against the likes of Doncaster, Millwall, Leeds on Tuesday winter nights, seeing out games in defensive midfield. He stayed on in the championship for one last year, signing for Birmingham in 2012, who were managed by former Fulham teammate Lee Clark. Because of Birmingham's financial difficulties, he had to be released in January 2013, and he retired from professional football. 
Diop was reported to have died in Paris following Charcot-Marie tooth disease and motor neurone disease. He was 42. A tribute to a cult hero. Cheers, Chris. There's also a nice moment in the film game tonight where after one of the, the goals, they had a, a shirt for him as well. Uh, yes. I'm just going to move, move on to the, the other news from during the week uh, that at the age of uh, 60, uh, football lost uh, Diego Maradona. Uh, being born in 96, I'm probably not in the best place to talk about his football career because I really wasn't there to see any of it. And I've no feel for the era of the game. I'm not Argentinian or from Napoli, so I, I can't get the impact of those places. But you obviously see the scenes on TV. But for me, really, I just want to say about Maradona. He'll, he'll be one of those that goes down sort of on the, the Mount Rushmore of the game of football. On the football side of things, I'll probably leave that most to other people who did see him. There's great tribute out there from... Uh, Gary Lineker this week actually if you should go on YouTube and watch it and you can see Michael Owen and Rio Ferdinand look like kids as he tells stories but obvious highlights of the man are the 86 World Cup leading Argentina to the trophy two league titles with Napoli and making Peter Shilton cry but I'm gonna talk I, I want to talk a bit about the rock star that is Diego Maradona the character sort of the good and bad side of the guy in uh, 2017, he was named as 442's uh, greatest footballer of all time, and this was what was used to describe him from Andrew Murray. The guy said Pele scored more goals, Messi's won uh, more trophies, both have lived more stable lives than the overweight former addict who tops this list. His relationship with football has become increasingly strained the longer his career has continued. But if you've ever seen Maradona football at his feet, you'll understand why he tops this list. And as I say, the guy's a rock star and I want to, this is a lighthearted podcast, so I just want to talk about a few of the funnier stories of Maradona outside of the game. Uh, in March 2009, Italian officials announced Maradona owed the Italian government 37 million euros in unpaid taxes, 23 of which were accrued interest on debt. And it was reported that thus far, Maradona had only paid 42,000 euros <laughs> of it two luxury watches and a set of earrings. Uh, uh, the 1994 World Cup, uh, two World Cups after uh, leading his country to the trophy. Uh, Maradona, according to this article, looked like a crazy dope fiend, and that's because of his use of a certain performance enhancer, which got him <laughs> kicked out of the tournament. Years later, Maradona would claim he had a deal with FIFA, on which the organisation later came around and said, no, we didn't. <laughs> uh, in the 2010 World Cup, Maradona uh, managed his country in yes, the tournament. he did. Yeah. And uh, I had not seen this piece before. Uh, Thomas Miller, as we all know, as a top footballer, uh, one of the top scorers in World Cup history, uh, was supposed to do a joint press conference with Maradona. Uh, Miller at the time was an up-and-comer and Maradona didn't know who he was uh, and actually he said, I refuse to speak until that ball boy leaves the room. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. And finally, uh, just a, a quick uh, story from Paul Gascoigne this week about the two of them. Uh, oh, good. The famous, uh, yeah, <laughs> two players who love a bit of the extracurriculars. Uh, Gazza was saying in an interview this week about uh, having a few drinks before a game against Maradona uh, both in Spain uh, met Maradona in the tunnel and said Diego I'm sorry I'm a bit tipsy today 
Maradona famously turned around and said, don't worry, Gaza, so am I. <laughs> and I think that's a nice note to leave it on. And we'll get on the rest of the pod. Yeah, thanks for that, guys. I suppose probably <laughs> the best place to start was uh, Brighton versus Liverpool. 1-1 yes. one, one draw. A lot of Liverpool players have been unhappy and they've been voicing that concern appropriately or not on Instagram and Twitter since. Um, I suppose before we get on to all of that, did you have any thoughts on the game? What did you, what did you guys see out there? Yeah, I, I thought uh, thought the commentator summed it up very well when he said Brighton looked great value for their 1-1. That's pretty much summing up Brighton and Hove Albion, I think, in a nutshell. I mean, I think that's a 1-1 draw against the champions. And it was a well-deserved draw. Darren, Darren, the issue is that, you know, Liverpool are obviously apparently decimated, you know, as they are every week now. <laughs> and also, it's a 1-1 draw for Brighton every week. So it doesn't really matter that it was Liverpool. <laughs> what I will say about Brighton, though, Chris, Brighton played Liverpool the way Leicester should have last week. There right. were at least... How'd that go for them? But no, this is what I'm saying. Leicester have better players than Brighton. But in the first half, Brighton played the same ball to Aaron Connolly two or three times. And it's the exact ball Jamie Vardy, week in, week out, would put away no bother. And last week, Leicester played that ball zero times. And well, Brighton played it three and 45 minutes. Yeah, I well, actually thought, fair play to Brighton. They've given this a good go. They know what's wrong. Oh, like, yeah. oh, f- fair play to Brighton. Too bad they can't actually you know, finish and <laughs> score the goals. But uh, great, you know, because the Mountain was playing Nat Phillips, you know, so that's probably another reason why they didn't score any goals. Well, he did win a million headers. Yeah, yeah. The he guy did win a million headers. Classic centre. <laughs> he's, he's, he's the Mountain, Darren. Of course he did. Listen, can't do anything right. with his feet. He's a real old school guy. Heads <laughs> things away, kicks things out for yeah. throw-ins. Um, no, I think it's a great point, Billy. Um, Liverpool's back four. I, uh, uh, your man wasn't good at right back. What do you call no, him? Nico, the guy? No, Nico. No, I don't think Nico's the guy. I really don't. I think no. it's so tough as well because the last youth player that I watched come through at Liverpool was Trent Alexander Arnold. So when I see this kid who is, mm. by all accounts, playing for his international team, not that I would mm. know, but apparently he plays for the international team, <laughs> um, coming through in the same position, I'm looking at him going, You don't do Trent things, and I don't like it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, again, it was another centre-back pairing for Liverpool this weekend and, and Bailey I think hit the nail on the head they looked a little bit out of sorts the back line wasn't set it was a little bit too deep at times or one person would drop off too deep and, and Brighton just kept getting in behind and I suppose Chris is half right in that they couldn't finish the chances and if they had of they, they could have been a couple away out of sight it was very reminiscent of the of the Villa game for the first the first mm-hmm. half and um, there's a recipe to beat this Liverpool team yeah, currently with the way the defence are, definitely. No, yeah, I think... and other teams should have been braver in previous weeks. Yeah, Brandon I love Rogers. that, just getting a dig at Leicester. We'll get on to them later, but I love that we're getting a dig in this with this <laughs> game as well. Yeah, well, you know, because of course Mopai didn't finish. That was great to see. That was great to see. <laughs> no, and then no. the best thing about it was that he yeah. did the professional equivalent of, well, I'm taking my ball and going home. I've missed my yes. penalty, and now oh, all of a sudden I'm straight down the tunnel I'm injured. I'm Injured yeah, in inverted hamstring turnaround. Yeah, in, in inverted commas. Didn't even let the doctors assess him. I'm injured. I'm going off. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you next week. Yeah, yeah did you see? Uh, am I right in saying Lalana came on and came off? Yeah. Almost immediately yeah, after. Yeah, sad yep. to see that, to be honest. Yeah. Well, he was injured. Yeah, came on. Yeah. Oh, I think he was involved right. in a collision with a Liverpool player. Um, it looked fairly innocuous at the time, but yes, was on was on the pitch for no more than ten minutes and, and was off again. Um, obviously, we touched on it there a little bit. Liverpool players pretty unhappy, I think, with the 
the penalty decision, there were a couple of VAR decisions. Liverpool had two goals ruled out for offside. Uh, and then the penalty oh, wow. that was given to Danny Welbeck, I think the, the comments that were coming out of Liverpool afterwards were that uh, Danny Welbeck himself and Graham Potter suggested that it probably <laughs> wasn't a penalty. Um, what did you guys think on, on that incident? Oh, yeah, there was no way it was a penalty. Yeah, it was bollocks. Well, the I man's think... has been kicked yeah, in the box. I think it's, yeah, it's one of those... Like, it can go either way, but I mentioned this to Bailey a little bit off air. Um, Marcus Rashford was fouled in the box, very similar level of contact. And then Adama Traore was fouled in the box, again, very similar level of, of contact. And I think the frustration comes when the first one, the Andy Robertson one, is given as a penalty. The Marcus Rashford one isn't given as a penalty. And then the Adama Traore gets booked for diving. And, and all uh, three of them yeah. were very similar levels of contact. Yeah. And so either, on Salah. Either all of them, yeah, going back a few weeks, yeah. So either all of them are penalties or none of them are penalties. That's, yeah, the, the, that's all I think people are asking for. Yeah, the, the Traore one was the worst because like, he was literally booked for diving. Yeah. I mean, that, that was a penalty. So... Um, but, uh, you know, Bailey, I know you want to go on to this. Some of the Liverpool players perhaps voiced this in ways oh, that you didn't quite like. Entitled yeah. Liverpool. Well, this is this is my thing, Chris. Liverpool have reached that level of being oh. good where you you become bad not winning games. Yeah. Just They've done this a few times. We've seen it after the Everton game. There seems to be a scene when Liverpool don't pick up three points, which is... I suppose a good it's somebody's thing to have, fault because if you're if you're angry not winning games, it's it's a yeah. good sign. Yeah, but it was a lot of the it was it was the Milner tweet a lot of hours later where the guys now all of a sudden out of love with the game, even though Liverpool <laughs> themselves have benefited from VAR decisions in the past. Henderson <laughs> going around asking the Brighton players for their opinions. Oh, guys, did you what, what, what do you reckon? Are you are on my side against VAR? Come on, here, guys, come on, and then like Klopp applauding the officials, which he'll get away with because Jurgen Klopp. But it even goes back to the Everton game where like Henderson was coming out with his bendy lines conspiracy theories and all. And all that. And then if you even go yeah. further. But and this is the thing. Liverpool win often enough where we don't see them moan about draws and losses. If you even go back slightly further than that, Chris, remember mm-hmm. the uh, famous interviews after the Atletico game where they gave it the full we'll see it on Anfield kind of like. Oh yes. Oh glorious. <laughs> Simone, you know, yeah. But they, they are, they've just reached that level of being good where you become bad at not winning games. Like every great team whenever they do not win a game are bad at it. Like the famous Barcelona teams, Pep Guardiola is one of the worst at it. Jose Mourinho's horrible at it. And Ferguson used to, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah for, exactly. It's it's what happens to all the best teams. You become bad at not winning games. Just there's too much of it this weekend for me. I, I think Brighton. I think reading into it, you know, you talked about the Everton game. They were unhappy, and and again unhappy today. I think if you are a good team and you lose, and there are these VAR decisions, it can almost bring the group closer together if you choose to have a common common enemy yeah, yeah. i think as opposed to sitting saying we weren't very good today or we missed this or that or the other if you can say we're doing all we can and it's everybody else against us that that's probably quite good for creating a culture of a united group in any team whether it's liverpool the or Tottenham or whoever yeah who, who are then going out as a collective to try and take on everybody i, yeah, I think yeah, that's rather. probably a good thing now 
do I sympathise a little bit with the Liverpool players in this case? Yes, like I sympathised with any of the other teams when they've had dodgy VAR decisions. Because VAR, you know, maybe to say we're falling out of love with the game is, is extreme and it's an emotional uh, statement from Milner. But VAR <laughs> is changing the way that we watch football. Listen, I've always, before it came in, I was of the opinion we needed to just get decisions right. Offside is offside, penalties are penalties. Um, previously, what was frustrating about watching football is that you were watching... 10 replays of a decision that a referee missed. But when you were watching them, you were at least watching them with the understanding and the sympathy that the referees only got one view. Mm -hmm. What's happening now with VAR is we're still having the frustration of decisions, but we now don't have the sympathy for the refs because mistakes shouldn't be happening. It's not the same frustration, but it's still a frustration nonetheless. Watching football has now become... Kind of like watching a contestant on a quiz show get a question that you know the answer to wrong. Like it's somebody sitting on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and they're deliberating with Chris Tarrant or Jeremy Clarkson, I suppose. Uh, um, you know, they're sitting going, oh, it's between answer A and, and answer D for me. It's between one of them. And you're screaming at your television, just pick answer A. Yeah, it's answer Google. A. <laughs> just go with that. And then they pick answer D that that's what I saw with Liverpool at the weekend if you look at the the first goal being ruled out for offside which whether it's right or wrong is irrelevant his foot did look offside but where they drew the line on the defender you're looking at him kind of pause and go oh should I be putting this line on his shoulder (laughs) or on his foot and you're screaming at the television it's his shoulder you have to put this line on his shoulder and then he zooms in on the foot and that's what's infuriating people at the moment because you're just watching somebody else make errors that they shouldn't make Um, and I think that's what's sucking some of the enjoyment out of it um, because you've lost that bit of sympathy for the referees that you used to have when you knew that they only get the one look at it live yeah, you bring people like Coot in, this is what happens. No, I don't start um, David. Uh, th- th- listen, th- th- the issue with VAR is that it worked almost perfectly in the 2018 World Cup. And since it's been introduced in the Premier League, it has worked horrendously. So there's an issue there. It can work, but it hasn't worked. Probably because of the quality of refs, even though they would never admit that. But so, again, the yeah. VAR is completely different to what was used in the World Cup, because the World Cup was a trial and also every decision was given in that World Cup. If you mm-hmm. looked at the number of penalties from corners in that World Cup, you don't see that. But, but, but everything was just yeah. everything was just in that World Cup. Like it, and, at least and it, was cons- it was consistent. Yeah, they and they're every, referees yeah. from from loads and loads of different countries. But, but if but you like, remember as well, there were complaints during that World Cup that. Jesus, we're seeing two penalties a yeah, game here. Yeah. <laughs> That's because Panama are playing rugby this, with Harry Kane. Too much. Like, um, I guess another one of the big right. talking points has been around sort of the sort of quite quiet abandonment of the clear and obvious error. Like VAR has gotten a little bit big for its station. Previously, it was meant to be there to change decisions that were obviously wrong, and now they've just decided, no, we'll do what we want. We'll make every call we want, because that seems to be the conversation every week. Is you know, should you only be sending the referee to the screen if it's a clear and obvious error, and then what defines that? And I actually have a solution on this, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I would like to see a time limit introduced to VAR. I think if you've looked at if you've looked at a replay. If you can't, if you can't within thirty seconds decide that the decision needs to be overturned, then you can't overturn it. If you can't decide in thirty seconds that it's a clear and obvious error, then it isn't one, and it should just not change. No, that gives them Mike Dean's a bit too much. Well, exactly. 
Yeah, Coot would be in the in the studio doing the thirty second countdown, and he starts panicking ten seconds down. <laughs> Mike, help me! Yeah, you can't do it. And the issue with that will be it's fine now. You cannot put a thirty second timer or however long you want whenever fans come back. Oh yeah, goes to the screen, <laughs> and there's a bunch of fans around them going. Oh, as he's going from five, four, three, two, one. No, no. I, it, once he goes to the screen, I think it's fine. But you should only be—you have thirty seconds in the booth to decide if it's a clear and obvious error, because the the clear and obvious part should be quite apparent. So you decide if you see like two replays, and you go, "Oh, that he's the referee has obviously made an error." Then you say, "Go and look at the screen." You only send him to the screen if you're confident that he's made. The mistake, mm. the 30 seconds is on the replays because you're looking at some of them going, we've watched this replay for two minutes yeah, now and we're still none day. the wiser as to what's right. happened. So in that case, you should just be saying, go with whatever the on-field call was. Well, speaking of speaking of these rules, we did have um, someone right into the pod. We did. <laughs> I was rinsed in this message. <laughs> yeah, I have it here if, if you want me to oh, read it. Yeah, First yeah, of all, this, yeah, yeah. Came in, this came in a couple of weeks ago from a... Uh, a listener called um, Thomas, or, or Tom, as I'm going to call him without invitation. Um, <laughs> now, we meant to read this out last week and we forgot, but I do think people are feeling more confident writing into the show, and I think that's a good thing, and, and we mm. encourage it. But at the same time, I don't want people writing in thinking they can dictate our narrative. We'll yeah. choose when and if we read your message. <laughs> if we you feel know, like it and we, it fits our agenda. Absolutely. We'll, we're, not gonna we'll be, we're not going to be alphaed by you lot. Um, but this guy but this guy went about it the right way he he insulted Chris Ringland and, and that's a surefire way to get your name read out in the podcast yep. so love it. Uh, Tom Tom writes in hello guys uh, love your pod the NI accents are beautiful and just love hearing Chris Ringland's voice on a weekly basis however I feel the need to call out Chris last week he provided some Owen Hargreaves style analysis of West Ham mm-hmm. In brackets, it was awful. <laughs> My main issue is his apparent outrage at the fact Sebastian Allaire was called out by Match of the Day pundits as being offside in the lead-up to the goal. The laws of the game, and it's good that Tom knows their laws, the laws mm. of the game state that a player moving from or standing in an offside position is deemed offside if the player impacts the ability of the opponent to play or challenge the ball. In my opinion, and in brackets, and the opinion of Gary Lineker, Allaire interferes with play, although it may be indirectly, and thus the goal should not stand. I would like Chris to provide evidence as to why the goal should stand, or he will forever be a non-credible source, and any analysis he provides henceforth will always be inaccurate. Yours sincerely, Thomas. (laughs) Thanks for writing in, Thomas. Yeah, uh, the laws are absolute garbage. Um, That's the first thing to say. It actually happened again this weekend. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, Ben Godfrey... Uh, in the Everton Leeds match, it happened. Did uh, he? He was called offside for just you know just being in front of the goalkeeper. We need to get away from this. Like there, there, there is far, far too much protection for the goalkeeper. And you know, like they can see where the ball is and they can see what's happening. So why, why do they need the protection of? Oh well, if someone's standing near me, they're interfering with play. If you stay in your same position, you'll save it. <laughs> so your answer to to Thomas, who was asking. Uh, who, who made? A, I mean, he made a strong argument reference the laws of the game. Thomas is clearly a, a very well-educated young man. If I want to pick holes in what Thomas has said, <laughs> I think the brackets of and in the opinion of Gary Lineker probably doesn't help your well, argument. Well, indeed, I, I did think that's yeah, um, no fair play. He was trying to get a rise out of Chris. I like that. Yeah, no, he was. He was. <laughs> so, um, you're, but you, but to respond to Thomas, he was saying 
how you justify what you said and you've justified it by saying, actually, I just want to change the laws entirely. Listen, what Darren, Thomas has said is actually correct. And Darren, my solution is just to change things wildly. Darren, <laughs> Coot doesn't know the rules, so it doesn't matter that I don't know the rules. Okay, so there you go. Thomas Chris's answer is to deflect. Um, <laughs> so it is. But listen, thanks for writing in. And obviously, uh, yes. uh, if anyone else wants to write in at any point, please feel free to um, do so. Um, yes. So, so, so Klopp, Klopp, Klopp. Sorry. Yes, Klopp. Klopp versus Dez. Klopp and Dez, or whatever it was, yeah. Dez Kelly. Like, the big this, showdown. This was, this was great. This was phenomenal. <laughs> Finally, a, a journal bites back. So, you, can, you can say what you want about this lot. Yeah, I, so, could, I, I couldn't stand the journalists. What happened, I think, for, for context for people if they haven't seen it, is Jurgen Klopp was doing his post-game press conference, um, or his post-game interview, with Dez Kelly from BT Sport. Um, Des was asking him a number of questions about the match and, and one question included did James Milner go off with a hamstring injury and Jürgen uh, quite bitterly sort of side mouth answered him yes there you go you've got what you wanted something to those sort of effects <laughs> that, it, and then suggested that it was it was BT Sports fault because Liverpool played on the Wednesday yes. night and then played yes. at 12.30 on the Saturday Stuck and Des bit back saying this isn't BT's fault Jürgen this is the Premier League you've got to take it up with them and, and Jürgen and him went back and forth for around six minutes in the end um, and that obviously was used um, by BT for all of their social media stuff this weekend <laughs> Of course, it's the broadcasters. Club's totally right. It might not be his personal decision. The only reason that we have like a game every two hours is so that the broadcasters can make more money. They might well agree to it, but it's up to them to decide when to show the matches. Chris, did you not, whenever Darren was saying uh, about Dez's comments there, did you not hear a bit of Darren and Dez? Yes, after, I did. After Jurgen turned around and said, uh, "Congratulations to you for another one of my players getting injured," and Des has just done what Darren does every week and gone, "Well, I didn't get him injured. <laughs> it wasn't me." <laughs> <laughs> that being said, and whilst I'll, you know, you could applaud Des for that sort of response because it is—it's a no-lose response. When the going's good, when the going's listen, when the going's good, you involve yourself. When the going gets bad, <laughs> withdraw yourself from any responsibility. It's the right way to handle things. But that being said, Des Kelly, that is not your job. Your job is to ask the questions of the manager. That is clickbait stuff from BT. I, he thought he was brilliant as well. It's, I, I is, get it. It's yeah. clickbait stuff from BT to try and get their headlines, to try and get their, their videos BT. for the weekend, which they used. And this happened later Absolutely. on in the day. This happened on Sky Sports during the Sheffield United match. Three times in Wilder. the interview at the end of the game, Chris Wilder was asked about Jurgen Klopp. The first time he was asked, he said, I don't want to talk about that. And they still asked two more times after yeah. that. It's clickbait stuff from Sky and BT. It's them trying to control their own little narrative. And you're uh, right, yeah. Chris. BT and Sky pick which games are shown at which times. Yeah. Why could Leeds versus um, Everton. Everton, thank you. Why could Leeds versus Everton not be shown at half 12 and Liverpool Brighton be on at half five in the evening? There's no difference. Well, I, I, well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really personally care about Liverpool, but I, but I do care about the justice of the question. I no. also just love how he threw Wilder under the bus during it. It was great. Mm. Well, this is the thing as well, because we actually mentioned this a few weeks ago, and the fact that we're talking about Jurgen and it did blow up a bit. Jurgen's interview with Dez, the comments Jurgen made weren't too dissimilar to a certain Ollie Gunnar, 
Ollie Gunner Solskjaer. Uh, uh, but but, uh, but Ollie didn't kick up enough of yeah. a fuss and then beat BT. That's because Ollie's the chosen one, Billy. Yeah. But and BT we said, also knew at the time that Ollie wouldn't do what Jurgen does. Jurgen's had a lot more injuries than Ollie and stuff, and obviously under mm-hmm. is champion of England, so everyone's shooting at him. But and we... Ollie won't get those clicks, whereas I think BT got the same comments out of Jurgen, but forced them a bit into. And we biting. said we said that at the time with Ollie, we said he, it was the right idea, but he didn't execute it. Yeah, perfectly. he didn't execute it right. Of course, um, he didn't. And to be yeah. fair, I think both Klopp and maybe Pep as well at the time. I can't remember. Both came out after Ollie made those comments and backed him. So it's not like people are taking a new stance when it suits them. This has been something no. that a yeah. lot of the managers have picked up on, and it just so happens that there are a minority who don't, and there's a bit of tension between those who do versus those <laughs> who don't. Yeah. Um, it's quite nice whenever. Uh, Jurgen gets asked about Chris Wilder in press conferences and it's like you're asking the champion of England about a manager whose team currently have one point yeah. <laughs> and ha- having to take up brain space caring about them. Yeah, but you know, it is what it is. I, the frustration for me is actually not any comments made by Klopp or Wilder or anybody else. My issue is at the moment with BT and Sky clickbait stuff, Absolutely. trying to grab headlines, trying to control an argument. It's just gross. Absolutely. It's YouTube stuff and I don't yeah. like it. Anyway, uh, Manchester United Southampton was probably the most entertaining game this weekend, I suppose, yeah. from a, from an excitement point of view. Southampton taking a 2 0 lead, Manchester United substituting Cavani on at half time and, and him sort of inspiring them to, to a 3 2 yes. comeback that the United players celebrated, uh, quite, quite a bit. Bit, 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 um, bit too much. A little yeah. bit over the top, <laughs> yeah, the, but, you know. Yeah, now you say that they made a sub, Darren. They also made another sub, and I, I'm not sure we know the, Full truth of this. Was David De Gea injured? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He clattered his knee he off. The trying to post. save the Ward Price free kick, he hit his knee off the post. He wasn't injured. <laughs> that doesn't. That doesn't. Matter. Chris, he that hits the post. Yeah, he, he does hit the post. Billy, stick in those like old Ian Wright Christmas DVDs you used to get and watch people <laughs> fly in the post, and I'll tell you if David De Gea was injured. So I can't, I, that man was not injured. I'm Are you actually you. saying he's done a mope? And yeah, he's watched the free kick. No way, he's oh, this is enough for me. I'm away down the tunnel. Well, it so does, I, re- I, it does actually raise the question: Is De Gea the problem? Is Dean Henderson the solution to all of United's problems? I, I thought Dean Henderson should have started from game one. Dean and Donny, totally honestly. Well, Donny, Donny did get a run out this. Oh, weekend. and Donny, we'd be remiss <laughs> not to mention that Donny started in a midfield for Got Manchester, ahead of for Manchester for United ahead of Mata. Wow. Um, and performed pretty well. Now, for the first half an hour, it looked like well, this has been a terrible decision. Um, <laughs> not that he was at fault for any of the two goals, but if they'd lost 2-0, I mean, I'd already started writing those notes. Donny gets the run out, you know, they get um, Goodbye. But, listen, really spirited fight back from them. Um, Cavani does seem to give them a focal point that, that maybe nobody else in the yeah, squad gives no, them. No, Cavani is. He's brilliant. Um, he... He's also one of like in the best physical shape I think I've ever seen a footballer. Um, and he's thirty three. He's chiselled. Um, <laughs> no, it, you, you can see why he scored so many goals in his career. And why he's played at the very top. Um, he was also in- incredibly lucky yesterday afternoon after his antics before coming onto the pitch. Where <laughs> he was wearing the wrong <laughs> oh, pair of boots. Oh, I did see that. He took a wee minute to get his boots on. Yeah, yeah. He, he was lucky. He scored twice. Or Roy was taking the trip down to St Mary's <laughs> to have a word with him. 
by what was going on there. Well, he was subbed on in the 45th minute and he didn't get onto the pitch until the 46th. <laughs> yeah, so that he was... was told you have to go on and tie your shoes <laughs> on the field because we need to get going here. There's other games to watch. Uh, Southampton, I mean, where, where do you guys stand on them? Unlucky or poor from them to throw it away? They, they played some decent football, especially in the first half. No, well, they were saying apparently if... Uh, if the league was to buy second half performances, they'd be 19th and have dropped more points. <laughs> they've dropped more points under Hasenhudel than any other team since then. So apparently they have an issue with that. But they're still class and Hasenhudel is one of the most underrated managers in Europe. They're great. They do play some pretty good stuff. They're also, it's tough to gauge them at the minute because obviously Danny Ings is a bit out of the team. Dings. Walcott's slotted in that role pretty well, to be fair to him. He has. But, he has all the yeah, I didn't actually realise that's the start of it, their second half. So they're a really, <laughs> uh, good yeah. team, really good team to watch. And I like the way they go about it and the way Hasenhudel has set them up. But yeah, I'm now having to rethink yeah. my opinion on Before hearing that from you, Chris, I was thinking, you know, they play 4 4 2, some nice football, good kit. Like it's everything yeah. you want to see. Yeah. That guy uh, Ings up yeah, front yeah. for them just can't stop, won't stop when yeah. he plays. Um, but yeah, now that you've said that, you know, phew, we're we're bridging on fraud yeah. territory. We'll have to look into that a little bit more. Yeah. These guys don't have ninety minutes. Uh, have to, a look at this. Yeah, free this will. Get through yeah, forty-five yeah, no, minutes and then free will the second half. That's I'm, I'm pretty sure that is a that is uh, that is a jit. Yeah, you've, what, you've yeah, changed like, my mind on them there, Chris. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, I did have an issue with Harry Maguire's um, interview after he was he was saying, oh, you know, like oh, Cavani's he's just he's just. He's, he's just the most incredible player I've ever played in training with. And I'm like, oh, all right, Harry. Like, you know, like, he's, he's all right, you know. Yeah, remember last week I was saying about how Harry was coming off with comments like, people are jealous of our success. It's nice for <laughs> Harry to be around a guy who won the league 15 years in the last 13, 15 times in the last 13 years. Do you reckon uh, if Harry Maguire is making those comments about Cavani that Bruno Fernandes is sulking on the bus home? Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely, <laughs> you can even tell. What, like you can even tell what he's playing. He's just he he, he hits everyone. <laughs> he's just there for the stats. Like he'll be gone in like a year anyway. You know. Well, I don't know about like Real that. Madrid or whatever. But. I don't know about that. But anyway, moving on. Uh, Arsenal Wolves. Obviously, the the biggest oh. point was the the Jimenez injury. But mm. you know, we moving on from that. From just looking at the football side of things. Uh, Wolves different formation this week went for four at the back instead of five looked everyone through everyone gave them a lot more going forward obviously allowed them to start Adama further up and and caused Arsenal here in free fall a lot of a lot of problems (laughs) Um, can can I can I just say for from a Wolves perspective have you seen a club have better recruitment in the Premier League than Wolves like I'm sorry Pedro Neto and Daniel Podence are absolutely phenomenal, and they're like tw- twenty and twenty-one. It's the uh, easiest recruitment job in the world, though. No, they've got they've got the agent. They've got the, like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. They've got they've got the agent. They've got the agent. I could run their scouting department. <laughs> just send me to a beach in Portugal for a couple listen, of months a year. What what I mean is is when they sell players, they replace them with people who have the potential to reach the same market value eventually. That's you know that's yeah. what I'm saying. Uh, and and you know they've got these new left backs and uh, Semedo right back. You know it, it just it always works like it's really good. Um, and they've just sunk Arsenal hilariously, who have had a the worst start I think since 1981. It's a tough one, I suppose, for them because they played and then there was obviously the the injury, which took sort of 10 minutes out of the game, and then they had to get back into the flow of it. And it, it did seem to 
sort of spur worlds on and we probably should take a moment Daniel Pedenza's goal mm. just mm, is, that, is, is that is that up there for under the footlights oh, I think season? it is that one hitting all yeah. the right places it even yeah. it even got Roy King feeling a little bit uh, misty eyed <laughs> a little bit looking at it he was like look at that skill um, <laughs> Roy was a huge fan of it um, so, so that was good to see um, Arsenal just struggling I mean we joked about it a little bit before we started, but Aubameyang got his money, and it just seems like he can't—he just can't buy anything since. Yeah, that goal for uh, Gabriel was there first in November from open play. What? Like, was there what October? Was, was there October goal of the month a penalty? Like, I think I remember seeing this as well. Their October goal of the month was a penalty. Like, honestly, it's it's a good thing those boys playing a Thursday night because otherwise that is desperate for you. I mean, do you know the frustrating thing? And I know it's easy to say, you know, the grass is always greener with whatever, you know, whatever the other alternative is. But like, Mesut Ozil must be either the worst footballer in the world. Like, you're telling me this guy on a quarter of a million pounds a week couldn't help you out a little bit? <laughs> Should have got William there. Like, come on. Oh, oh William and... Joe Willock. Say, well, yeah, I remember William was he was better than Ziyech at some point, wasn't he? But yeah, I agree. Just you may as well give him a go at this point. What's like, the harm? The, he's, you know, you're not going to be any worse with him in your team. Well, like, 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 let, let's get it straight. Their strikers have been horrific this season. Where's Lacazette? Where's Aubameyang? Lacazette was always a bit hit or miss. Yeah. He, would, he would be streaky. He'd go on a on a run where he'd score maybe three, four games in a row, and then go miss him for another couple of months. I, I, yeah, like Nicholas we're saying, Pepe, he's we're, not going to do it. Off Nicholas Pepe. I actually yeah, quite I, like Inkeria yeah. for whatever reason. I, I like Inkeria, but really, he doesn't, doesn't score goals. Um, it was just like what 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 happens to Arteta ball? You know, that's that's the thing. Like you know, Emery well, what was Arteta ball. This is the thing. Like Arteta ball hmm. kind of came in after the FA Cup successes, where they won a semi final against City and a final against Chelsea with a long ball from Tierney to Aubameyang mm-hmm. in both games. Like, yeah. is that Arteta ball? Because well, they were... There's nothing else going on. For me, Arteta ball was shoring them up and making them harder to beat. It yeah. was actually less to do with the way they play in their attack, because Arsenal have always kind of had a reasonably fluid attacking team, but they've always just looked soft in the centre, and they've always looked like easy to score goals against, and the goals that they were conceding were soft goals. And I think Arteta Ball, to me, was he went through a spell where he changed that and he made them harder to beat. Mm. But if you're going to do that, and it's kind of similar with what Jose's doing at Spurs, you know, you're you're shoring it up and you're making your team hard to beat, but that only works if you have world-class guys at the other end who are able to convert two or three yeah. chances a game yeah. into two goals and that's the problem when they were doing it in the FA Cup yeah. last year Aubameyang was scoring goals when he would get he would get one chance and he'd score one goal now he's just gone missing a little bit he's just going through I'm not saying he's a bad player at all but he's just going through a little patch where he's struggling and that's why yeah. Arsenal are struggling because they're then not taking the one or two chances they, they do get but does this not prove that like you know what actually is football like Emery, 10 games in, has more points that when he was sacked than Arteta now 10 games in. I, 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 and no, nobody, no, nobody, nobody is even, nobody's even thinking about that it might be Arteta's fault. But it's about feeling around the club, I think. Well, ex- Arteta, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Arteta gets a bit more time because A, he was an Arsenal man, and B, because he brought silverware to the club, which they can, which for them. So did, for, so did Arsene Wenger. 
but as a but as a fan, probably one of the bigger things for Arsenal is her Tottenham doing and stuff. And again, well, Arsenal fans can go, well, at least we won the FA Cup last season. Tottenham haven't won anything in fifteen years or oh, whatever. Well, not for long. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah, it's just about feeling around the club. Like I, I agree, they're they're struggling, but I think yeah, as an, I can say from an Arsenal perspective, where as a fan you just go, yeah, we can give this guy a bit more time than we did to some guy who won the Europa League every other year. Mm. Also, uh, yeah. big asterisks beside this season, no preseason. You know that'll buy oh, managers, that, that's, that's not but right. it'll buy managers <laughs> a little bit of time. You know, yeah. you look part Thomas Partey came in, came in last minute on on. On or close to deadline day, I can't remember exactly. Yeah, after they sacked all their other staff. You, you know, by the time he came into the team, got acclimatised, got playing, and then he got injured, so he's to come back. So you do, I think this year, you need to give people until January, really, before you you really judge them. That being said, we're about to go on and talk about Fulham Leicester, and Bailey and I, I imagine, are going to rip into Brendan. Listen, so. can't wait. <laughs> listen. Uh, li- listen. <laughs> Premier League table, right now, Tottenham, Liverpool, Chelsea, Leicester. Yeah. Were Leicester not top at one point? If Leicester... If Leicester Man United, 8th. Man City, 10th. Arsenal, 14th. But, 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 the, so, but the problem is Leicester. No, 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 no. City have a game in hand there, which whenever they win it against Fulham next week, we'll go level with them. Listen, Fulham are, Fulham are in good form now. <laughs> well, moving on to Fulham-Leicester. Fulham have played, at time of recording, that, that game finished about an hour ago. Um, yeah. West Ham versus Villa winning. is on yeah. currently. Um, yeah. Fulham, they win 2-1 against Leicester. Great result. They score a penalty. Scott wow. Parker looked wow. ecstatic at the, at the <laughs> fact that they scored a penalty. He took our advice. He did. Clearly did it in training all week. Yeah. Um, I, listen, I'm going to be very honest. I have not seen <laughs> a single second of the game, but I was not. And we talked about this before the show. Did we put it in? Do we not put it in? We, Bailey and I were not <laughs> going to miss the opportunity to slag Brandon off again, whether we've seen the game or not is irrelevant. Fulham scored a penalty and Leicester lost. Yeah, we're, we've said for weeks, Fulham are dead. Like this, this isn't the team who are staying. Well, they still are. Like, let's be honest. Well, well they are, but they, they've <laughs> defeated Brendan Rodgers, who you, <laughs> you defended last week, Chris, and they beat them with Adam Ola Lukman scoring like, a goal like after his disaster the penalty. They're fourth in the league after the <laughs> loss. A few Do weeks you think ago. that where would they be if they like the games that they lose? Darren, Liverpool and Tottenham, who are joined first, have <laughs> three more points than Leicester. Right, which means that yes, if Leicester had have won the previous two games, they would indeed be winning the league. Yeah. I.e., they would be the best team in the Premier League. Yeah. So settle down. No, listen. You've talked about the points in the table and all those sorts of things. We've told you before in this podcast, Chris. Those things don't matter. It's all about what does it look like, what does it feel like. <laughs> week that's, to week, that's the that's the yeah, what it looks and feels like. Those are the metrics that we measure teams by, and I don't like the look and feel of Leicester. Yeah, I don't like. I, I wouldn't if I'm a Leicester fan looking at the result tonight, saying we've been beaten by a dead football team, <laughs> who've, whose entire uh, training schedule this week has just been right, lads. Penalties, come on here. And I'll tell you the problem with Leicester, Chris. You've talked about how they're only a couple of points behind the the top three. Spurs in first, Liverpool second, Chelsea in third have all crucially only lost one game. Leicester have lost forty percent of their games this season. <laughs> 
That doesn't get it done. I don't like how that feels. This is, this is why we, this is why we don't bring in stats in this podcast. No, absolutely, Billy, it's all about how it looks and feels. <laughs> so it does. Well, also, not just right. stats on this. Chris is telling us that we're only three points behind Tottenham. Correct. Yeah, he threw the table at me, and I thought, I got to, I got to counter this with something quickly. <laughs> get Google up. <laughs> just to point out as well that if we continue to win this game, West Ham will be fifth tonight. So, uh, well, okay, it's about the look and feel. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we, should, we should say just for the penalty that it was actually Ivan Cavallero who last week hit his own foot yeah. uh, who scored the penalty so fair, yeah, play, fair to play to him so are we assuming did he win the, the penalty comp nope. in training no because Darren you actually you'll have missed this oh. uh, Scott Scott was whenever he's seen the penalty given there was a few players went to the ball and Scott's actually shouted gone Bobby's taking it for uh, Bobby Reid <laughs> mm-hmm Right, and Bobby was the one who won the penalty, and because of that superstition mm. of the man who wins the penalty can't take it, <laughs> yeah, Caviero's just gone over and gone. Not you, which I'm is taking this. completely valid in my eyes. I hate well, yeah. it. Yeah, because so, you you don't want to miss another one based on superstition. Yeah, I, I love a superstition more than the next person. So fair play to Caviero. I, I I can't believe he took that. Like I I wouldn't have the bollocks to do that. Like after, after <laughs> he took, took it well. Like, <laughs> yeah, like he, he's too. absolutely rattled it into the top corner. <laughs> um, yeah. Are we Fulham then with that result have moved outside of the relegation zone? Are we still assuming they are down? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it now. Yeah. I think Sheffield United will stay up. No, Sheffield. Oh, you're having a, no, no, I'm no, not, no. Sheffield, Sheffield terrible. Sheffield I'm stink. I'm not, no, I'm not. First of all, Sander Berger is. What a player! He is he is great. Uh, Someone pick him up next year. They do you know? Sorry, that game was the most shots. Bringing up stats. That that (laughs) game was the most shots in a game this season. Yeah, but again, it's the look and feel, Christopher. I watched this game. They missed sitters. No, they, I no, didn't like how that looked. No, Mousset missed from like a yard. <laughs> yeah, Mousset missed from a yard. I did. I did see that. Can't but, buy yeah. one. No, that's yeah. a look. That's a that's a look and feel thing. You can quote the stats all you want. They had one on ones. They had ever. If they couldn't put those chances away, they're in big trouble. Mm-hmm. The ball. Oh, doesn't it's lie. a thing with West Brom as well. You know, uh, like yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've we've really. Yeah, deep dived into that game well. I didn't watch it with yeah. critiqued it. Good good stuff. Yeah. Um Bailey oh, and- Bollocks Villa have scored. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well hang on, Christopher. I, I'm seeing a, a VAR listen, this has become like a React channel. Yeah, so exactly, you've got yeah. a live. Well, we, we, we've never had a West Ham game on while we're recording. No, I don't think we've we've never had a live reaction to anything. Let's see how this one plays out. The VAR lines are out. Of course it's Watkins, you know. Uh, well, it looks like his, toe, his fingernails might be offside. Yeah. This Fair. one's really tight. Oh, Darn, his whole arm's g- offside. How's it tight? How are they marking this one? <laughs> well, you can't score with your arm. Oh, but, oh, but, oh, really, it doesn't matter. <laughs> See, for me, this has taken too long. If this was 30 seconds, you'd have to just let this goal stand because we can't work it out. I'm looking at the picture live and I can't tell you if he's offside or not. So therefore, you have to say... Like, like, be, being serious, that is garbage if that's offside. But in non-seriousness, <laughs> my West Ham hat on, this is brilliant. He's definitely offside. He's been given his offside. I don't know how, but I'm giving him his offside. <laughs> justice, justice prevails. Justice for what? 
That's brilliant. Yeah, offside's offside. Oh, anyway, nice Bailey on TV there. Bailey into the mud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the mud. I actually did have. I had a full thing written about uh, Bielsa being nominated uh, for Coach of the Year, but then. Uh, but, but, sorry, sorry, but by who? By uh, it was a FIFA award, so he was alongside what, World think, Coach of the Year. Yeah, it was like alongside Klopp, uh, Zidane, whoever won. Zidane, the Zidane, <laughs> get out of here, get out of town. He, he was alongside all this crowd, and I had a full thing written about them. And Bielsa. Then, uh, yeah, and then I was I, I noticed the fixture this weekend's Chelsea Leeds, and I didn't want to give them any bulletin board material, <laughs> so, so I had to completely rewrite my thing. And fair enough, the Marco for all of that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to Neil Warnock ever getting nominated for that award. <laughs> but in, in the mud this week is uh, 14-year-old boys. Uh, yes, 14, that awful age where you try and avoid unnecessary speaking in public for the fear of your voice changing in front of a live audience. <laughs> That's how uh, I feel on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was reading a story today about a young guy, Anders Vergang. He's a... 14 year old boy, they don't actually know where from. I'm assuming Austria. Like Iceland or something. This kid has been uh, signed to RB Leipzig's esports Salzburg. team. One of the two. He's wearing a Red Bull top in this photo. I'm assuming that's one of them. Again, but great uh, research. <laughs> again, How much of the story do you know? Had to rewrite this after my Bielsa slander. I can tell you everything you want to know about the championship there in a few. <laughs> but th- th- this kid's big this is, in his, this is a live thing, isn't it? You've just googled weird football stories on the spot. You... <laughs> so this kid's big this in his on the drive on Talk Sport and uh, FIFA Ultimate Team Weekend League, and this kid is unbelievable. This kid, I don't know well, really the Weekend League, but you play thirty games a weekend, and this kid is currently on a two hundred and ten to not record. Sorry, hang on a second. Sorry, so he's playing FIFA, but in real life he has been signed for. He's been signed Red... to their esports team. Oh, oh, right. I thought you meant the the. Oh the no 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 no! He's not. He's not playing. No no. no. Oh, you right. thought oh, this must transfer. If he can win this many games on FIFA, he must be a good player, good little player. <laughs> no, that, this kid's just on seven weekends in a row. This kid hasn't right. lost a game of FIFA. Oh, good for him. And the boy. At the age of 14, you aren't up the much, you know, you're probably in third year, not having a clue. Everyone's an agent at that it's age. An awful year. This yeah. kid is earning a thousand pounds a week to play FIFA. And the kid is unbelievable. So he is 210 and not. He gets 48,000 viewers every game he plays on Twitch. And he has scored 200 goals in his last 30 matches. And it's unfortunate for anyone else who plays this kid, because I'm going to read out his team in Ultimate Team. And clearly, you can tell he's got a bit of backing and puts serious money into his points. Right. The kid at goalkeeper has Ter Stegen, who is 90 rated, and I don't know how. At right back, he has Sambrada. Centre back, Rafael Varane and Furlan Mendy, who isn't a centre back, but this kid clearly knows how to win games of FIFA and he knows it's all about the pace. <laughs> At left back, he is Maldini, and then going forward, he is Rude Hillett, George Best, Kylian Mbappe, Patrick Vieira, Ronaldo, and Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> how did George Best get in there? Because <laughs> <laughs> this kid is putting a fortune into this game. And I just feel bad for any other kid at this age group who's maybe going in, going, oh, "I'll give, I'll give Ultimate Team a go," 
And he comes out and plays against this kid's team. And this kid's team has 90 rated players all over the pitch. It's wild. No wonder he's 210 and oh. Do you know what, Billy? You say that you feel bad for the other kids playing him. From hearing that story, I feel bad for this kid. So I do. <laughs> you earning a grand a week, Why? then? You're a grand a week? No, but I feel bad because this is a 14-year-old kid. We know at 14 years old you're riddled with insecurities. And this thing, this thing that he has at the moment, this is probably all he's got. And there's going to come a time when he's going to lose a game of FIFA because we're all human. And it's impossible to do something perfectly for your entire life. And the day that he loses a game, I worry about him. I worry about the identity crisis that he's likely to go through. Well, what am I now? I'm now not an undefeated FIFA player. Yeah, we all reach that point of our FIFA careers where we get above the age of 19 (laughs) and aren't as good at the game anymore. Well, for me, it was more like whenever you started to pass the age... Where it's like, oh, I, I'm really not going to be fine now as like a Premier League player. At 24, you're like, if you haven't hit your potential by 24, you're not going to hit it. Yeah, 24, um, you start seeing boys make their debuts. For yeah, you start seeing kids at 18, 19 making the debut. I think that's a depressing day for me. I don't get a toss if some little rat's good at FIFA. That, that, um, listen, this guy's definitely involved with Ozil. You know, that level of Twitch <laughs> following, you know. If, if that's what Ozil gets when he, you know, there must be a partnership there behind the scenes. Well, listen, <laughs> I just want somebody to get the arm around this kid because either his options now are win forever or identity crisis. It's one of those two <laughs> things, and I just worry for him. Yeah, and I he's really also do. got whenever he does eventually lose a game, he's got forty-eight thousand people watching it online. Yeah, but and how quickly are those number, numbers numbers going to fall? Whenever he doesn't have that pet, because yeah, forty-eight thousand. But how many of those people are watching just in case he loses? Just to watch him. Yeah, it's the whole like McGregor Mayweather thing where you're not watching because you want to see the guy win. You're watching because you want to be there for the time. Yeah, it's absolutely trash. You know, I feel for him. <laughs> Heavy as the head that wears the crown. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think that that brings us to the end. Uh, I think it's only appropriate to end the show by kind of echoing what we said at the beginning of it, and that is that. Football is just a game. There's more important things in life. And uh, again, on behalf of the three of us, pass on my condolences to the families of Maradona and Papa Bubba Diop and, and also pass on our best wishes to Raul Jimenez here's hoping for a quick recovery for him. Guys, thank you both for your time. Good stuff. Hopefully see him yep. back on the pitch soon. Yeah. Yep. Enjoyed speaking with you as always. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening. We will be back again next Wednesday. See you next week. Yep.